Hi, and welcome to the Sheep Show podcast dedicated to all things ovine. Thank you for joining me. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. This is your podcast to learn more, know more and achieve more when it comes to shepherding. Come with me as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. Welcome to volume two of the Lambing Diaries here on the Sheep Show podcast. And what a big week it has been. I actually can't believe it's only been a week since I updated you last on the learnings and reflections and experiences and challenges of lambing. And yes, this week has indeed brought it all We are sitting at 95 lambs from 51 ewes. We have had seven sets of triplets, believe it or not. I'll tell you how I think we've been able to do that. And yes, there's been tons and tons of learning and uh, and challenges and ups and downs and times you want to just pull your hair out and times you want to cry with joy. It's it's had everything. So it's, it's a huge huge week for for myself and and Gary and Gary has been incredibly patient both with the the sheep but also watching his beautiful grass disappear before his eyes and uh, well maybe let's talk about that because given that uh, we're we're sitting at this sort of 180% lambing right now and uh, it's it's good to reflect on well how come what what makes sheep so fecund, I suppose, and fecundity in sheep is where they have a potential to multiply themselves. So they're able to actually produce lots of eggs and they're able to then fertilize those eggs and they're able to produce lots of lambs in the one season. And for us, this has been a result of, we think, a few things. A great season, obviously, and a lot of farmers around Australia have definitely experienced a very good season. We had a very wet, kind of cold summer, so our grass growth was pretty amazing. It was like spring lasted for six months. Uh, we had no drying off at all. So we, so obviously our, our ewes were in very good condition going into joining. So tick there, excellent condition. And we were able to increase the rising plane of nutrition. So we put them on to even better grass. And from that, they were able to then effectively just drop eggs when we uh, we put the rams out. A few learnings and a few things that I'll talk about that I'll do differently next time uh, as well. So things to, to think about here would be now is the time to prepare for your next joining season which paddocks are you going to use, which rams are you going to use, how many rams are you going to use, and really thinking ahead. With us, we did use four rams and split our mobs quite uh, quite a lot. I think our largest mob that we joined was about 40. So that meant that there was a lot, a lot more feed in those paddocks for those ewes, and, of course, that would have helped with those eggs dropping as well. Next year, I am going to use a teaser weather. And my plan is to use testosterone 
and uh, to, to get that weather out working. Because what I have noticed is we started lambing on the 21st of July. It's the 10th of August now. And I still have 30 ewes to go. So, okay, that's not awful, but I would like it to be a bit tighter. Uh, I can see huge differences in growth rate. And we'll talk about growth rate in a second uh, in, in terms of uh, my, my early lambs that were, were born. And I, and I really would like to manage my, my flock so that there was more consistency in uh, in that age and of course then I can be I'm able to compare like with like in terms of what growth patterns I'm actually getting from uh, from my sheep so I'm really looking forward to using that and what, what I plan to do is you, you take a weather you in, inject that weather with testosterone and then you don't eat it and then from that then you will send that weather out with the ewes to stimulate the cycle most of my ewes dropped in um, 17 days from joining and that's when effectively you can see the first Easter cycle so I can really see that that works when uh, when the ram stimulates that's the ram effect and that really stimulates uh, stimulates those um, that cycle so what else have uh, well what have I been up to well one of the things I really learned this week was the power wait for it of vitamin C I purchased vitamin C, injectable vitamin C, when we were looking at um, snake bites and trying to prevent and manage snake bites. Particularly, we had some issues locally here with a landslip uh, in summer, with, again, wet summer, and we had our road closed for, for a while, which meant that uh, locally here, it was quite a, a big round trip to get to the closest town. Quite a few of us have horses in the local area, and we were all pretty worried about challenges around, particularly around snake bites with dog horses. And of course, Gary knows this stuff, and he said, high doses of vitamin C. So I had bought this vitamin C. Uh, it's from, made by Siva, C-E-V-A, Siva Animal Health. And they also produce another injectable called VAM, which is a sort of a multi-min sort of injectable, if, uh, if some of you might, might use VAM. So what I've used the vitamin C for is, well, lots of triplets means very large udders. Lots of big lambs mean, again, very large udders. And with that, I also experienced some challenges. So one of the challenges is, of course, mastitis. And the other challenge is possible infection and tears. And you might have heard Brett talk about tears uh, when he talked about his spares and tears. So I saw a few, particularly the sheep that had the triplets and some of them had reasonably, some of them actually were just absolutely fine, just popped out triplets, all four, four and a half kilos, you know, really equal weights, quite amazing. And hey, presto, you don't have to do anything. Some of them need a little bit of coaching and assistance. And some of it was just a bloodbath. <laughs> so where we had the bloodbath, I decided, hmm, all right, what can I do? This sheep is literally the sheep was down and they had all these lambs and wanted to get her healthy and energetic. So one of them I've actually given two doses of, of vitamin C to, and some of them I've also given antibiotics to as well. And I cannot believe the impact that it's had. These sheep are now up and feeding their lambs, walking around, so they're not looking sort of depressed anymore or forlorn or like they're, they might be sort of in pain or experiencing an infection. So an incredible change 
in uh, in their behavior now they were well looked after I have to say they were pretty spoiled so they were in pens they got constant attention water and as molasses in water and grain and lucerne and hay and everything else they could have wanted so they had they had it really good but you know they'd been through a tough time particularly given um given the challenges one of the ewes in fact a few of the ewes we've had prolapses I mentioned this in the last lambing diaries one of them really bad prolapse and um I was really quite worried took her in Gary and I were able to catch her took her in and uh, I thought to myself what am I going to do have <laughs> this really bad prolapse so and I had nothing on hand and it was probably about 11 o'clock one night so I decided I would google what to do and I found a little trick it's called an Indian rope trick now quite work with my sheep because her tail was a little bit shorter than the Indian rope trick example that I saw. But I was able to do a similar effect with some baling twine and was able to effectively hold her vulva and vagina all in uh, and, uh, and, and keep it all together. Probably three days she was there and I spoke to my dad in the meantime and he said to me, oh, it's not going to work. You know, your, your harness won't work. You need to get a, a curved needle and stitch her up. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. And he said, oh, she'll burst her stitches when she lambs. And probably if, if my harness wasn't working so well, I would have resorted to that. But the harness worked amazingly. And yeah, she just literally, you know, I was there actually when, when her waters broke. So I was able to take that, the little harness off her and, and help out. So it's amazing what you can do with a bit of bush veterinary. And I was pretty impressed with my, myself making that, um, making that harness. I thought I would give you an update on the lambing time. When are my sheep lambing? You might have remembered from an earlier podcast that I was doing a little experiment and following some of the research that's out from the US on when to feed the sheep and when from that feeding regime you can expect them to lamb and well the majority of our sheep have actually lambed between six o'clock in the morning and eight o'clock at night so very 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 few have lambed outside of those times in fact we have had no lambs in the sort of middle of the night so no lambs at all from 11 12 o'clock to 6 a.m so that's pretty amazing and I know Jane, my friend, who also has Wilshire horns, hi Jane, has also been using this same feeding regime with her sheep and she's had two lambs one at 10 o'clock in the morning. So again, I think we can safely say that that's proof that if you can supplement and do supplement your sheep and you feed them at regular intervals, so particularly mid-morning, 11 o'clock is key time, then that will help you have a good night's sleep when it comes to, to lambing. How cool is that? I also wanted to share another story about one of the triplets, which was something, again, one of these learning experiences. And it was, uh, I saw you who didn't want to go out in the morning. She didn't want to go out in the paddock and, and join everyone else. And I thought, oh, that's fine. I'll just let her, let her stay. And then I saw a little bit of mucus from her back end. And I thought, oh, she won't be long. And then she was lying down and grunting and groaning. Um, but I didn't see the waters break. And I didn't see any evidence of the waters break. So I didn't, uh, I didn't do anything. I didn't intervene. 
Uh, and she continued to behave like this. And you can see that she was sort of in contractions. And I remember reading that the first stage of labor can last 24 hours. So I didn't want to intervene too early. And she looked, she looked sort of normal around the back end. But I was chatting to Naomi that night and um, she said, mm, I don't know, Jill, I think I've had this, heard about this before. And someone looked at it and intervened and the sheep had quads. And I thought, oops, I better go and check it out. And sure enough, headed up to the shed. And there she was in a bit of pain and actually really quite challenged. So I had, this was the one that I had to, to pull the, the lambs. And we actually lost one of those triplets, unfortunately. So that was a lesson, an awful lesson to have to learn. But uh, things to think about here would be if your sheep, even if you don't see any waters breaking, if the sheep looks like they're in labor, sounds like they're in labor, behaves like they're in labor, then they're in labor and intervene. So if, you, if it's going on too long, then really get involved and, and intervene and, and, and see how dilated she is and, and go from there. Not like me, just watch her and, and, and think, oh yeah, she knows what she's doing. She'll be fine. And she didn't look that big. In fact, it's quite amazing the size of a couple of the, the sheep that have had triplets. They're not the biggest ones, you know, and mm, this is quite interesting because you think about big ewes and, yeah, they look impressive and they seem like they're good and strong and healthy, but some of them produce just an average lamb. And you think, well, you are eating twice as much as a another ewe, like one of the ewes has produced triplets absolutely she she would be so efficient with her feed and the other some of the other ewes that have produced singles or or twins and you know nothing wrong with twins but you think you're huge like you're 100 not got 110 120 kilo ewes if you can remember back to my my chat with jeff when we were doing the weighing and yet some of those have produced triplets, but some of those actually haven't performed that well in terms of are they reproducing themselves and how much kilos of lamb are they actually dropping um, compared to something that will drop, you know, three, four kilo lambs and is only 80 kilos, 90 kilos herself and very efficient on a feed. So really interesting and really surprising. We have also had a few interesting reports from local neighbours over the last couple of weeks. We've had no lambs lost to foxes, touch wood, so far this season. We also have a few of our local neighbours tell us, hey, Jill, we found a dead fox in our paddock. I wonder, was it from your baiting strategy? And quite possibly. So we think we've knocked off a few of, uh, of the regular contenders. We've found a few on our property as well. And we've been, we were out shooting quite a lot. I'm using the fox lights. We are trying to uh, shed and protect as much as we possibly can. But a lot of them are out lambing during the day. So we, we're doing all right. And we've had no, uh, no losses to, to foxes. We have unfortunately had a few other losses, not too many. We had, Gary and I found a, a young maiden ewe, very large, but a lot of them are very large right now. And we found her one afternoon that I was supposed to go and do meat deliveries and I caught her, grabbed her. And I thought, yeah, this, this, you could see the, the little feet sticking out. Like, oh, this, this poor girl needs a bit of help. So got her um, and was able to, to sort of, um, help help her a little bit, but gee, it was pretty tough. She had a huge 
boy, that ram lamb inside her, coming backwards. Uh, so what I could feel was I just kept thinking of my interview with Brett and saying, you know, I always get worried when I see a tail. And this is what I saw, a tail. Uh, so we had to um, get that uh, big uh, lamb out. Now, he was alive, but barely. And behind him was a lovely little ewe lamb who um, I actually ended up bottle feeding her and keeping her. Her name was Pinky, uh, after Joan, uh, one of my neighbours. And uh, unfortunately, the ewe just was a bit in shock, didn't quite take it. And poor little Pinky wasn't quite well enough to stand up. So I had to bottle, uh, tube feed her for a couple of days. And then uh, I didn't really fancy trying to, I could have persisted, but uh, I thought, nah, I'll, I'll take her in and bottle feed her. So that's um, Pinky's in here and uh, she has two little friends and we had five at one stage but I donated a couple of weathers to my neighbours so I'm populating my neighbourhood with some little ones which is wonderful um, but it's good to it's good to barter with uh, with lamb whether it's meat boxed lamb or, uh, or whether it's the, the the cute fluffy kind so that's been uh, that's been quite good with the, the pulling we tried a few techniques. It was actually really quite hard. Gary ended up having to really do, do the final pull with a particular young, young you. But I did tie some bailing twine around the feet. And I've tried this with a few other yous as well this season. And uh, um, it actually worked quite well, particularly if you get the angle right and you pull downwards. That's what I've, I've really found with pulling them. If you pull them sort of straight, it, it doesn't work so well. Obviously, the way that the hips are angled on the sheep uh, and, and the way that the lamb is you know, supposed to come out, if you angle it downwards and able to pull downwards, it really does make a, a difference, a really downward motion. I also tried cupping the head in a few of them. That worked. And even today, we had a really um, big boy. He was about six and a half kilos. I just weighed him, born to, to one of the ewes, and ended up having to put a bale of bit of twine around the back of his uh, neck and through the, through his mouth, and uh, and that got him out uh, uh, a little bit as well. Two of the other ones that I, uh, particularly with the triplets and things like that, and when there's a traumatic birth, I've been using what I call is hybrid method and the hybrid method is where you keep the lamb with the you and then you just watch the lamb particularly if it stands up and stretches it's doing fine if it stands up and it's kind of hunched in the back then it's not doing fine so whenever I see a lamb looking like that or bleeding a lot, I think I talked about this before, I intervene. Now, the hybrid method is you just give the lamb maybe 200, 300 mils a day and stimulates an appetite. And hopefully with the vitamin C, which has worked, the you just takes them. So I haven't uh, now no more hybrid method. I just have my little bottle babies inside to, um, to keep me busy. I have been tagging my lambs and weighing them. I've been also taking notes about the performance of the U. And out of uh, a rating of, of 10 or so, and particular things I've been noting down are how, what her mother ability is like, how well she takes to the lamb, how protective she is, um, how, how, she, how attentive she is, how, I mean, I see the, some of these views with triplets, um, you know, I, I was doing the tagging of, of, uh, of 
the triplets that was born just, just yesterday. Uh, and Gary and I brought this particular you and triplets in last night. And um, she went for me, you know, and you think, whoa, actually really good. Um, it was sore, but it was really good. And today I was tagging them and I looked at her and I thought, yeah, I'm taking my life into my hands, getting into the pen with you. And she, she was very, she was good. She didn't go for me, but she could just see how protective she is. And you go into the pen, you look at her and the way she's lying. She's got those three lambs and her back's to the, the door. So, you know, she's not letting anything get to those lambs, which is amazing. Now, not all of them are like that, but when you see that, you just think this is so, so good. And the beautiful thing is a lot of my triplets have been females. So lots and lots of the triplets have been uh, ewe lambs, which is really good. Um, some of them are already sold, I have to say. I've had quite a few calls lately for people wanting to, to buy young lambs and, and ram lambs as well. So that's been amazing. So getting uh, getting my list happening. And, uh, and on that, I'm also making notes of the lamb. So anything in particular that I want to note about the lamb. So for example, particularly uh, I'm looking at pigment. Now we breed a British breed of sheep, which which we're really wanting to, to breed hardiness and hardiness comes. And I actually don't know if there's any research on this, but a, there's a myth anyway, uh, in terms of the color black. So black feet. And, and for us, our breed has a black sort of muzzle or black nose um, and also black, kind of black around the eyes as well. So kind of little Egyptian sort of look. So we know our breed standard. And as I am looking at my lambs, I'm checking them and making notes. Now, I did ask a few people uh, about this. In fact, one of the people I asked was Bob Thomas. I asked him this question when I, when I was in Cavendish a couple of weeks ago. Hi, Bob, if you're listening. Uh, I know Bob's a very regular listener. And uh, I said to Bob, does pigment change? So if a lamb is born with perhaps a, a sort of a fleshy colored nose, is it, it, will that change? And he said, mm, sometimes, sometimes not. And I've actually been noticing this, you know, some of them, their pigment just stays the way it is. Some of them have got blacker over time. But again, keeping notes, you can reflect on these things. And jotting it down, you can go back and have a look at it. And one of the other things that uh, uh, with weighing is, and uh, Naomi, who I know is another regular listener and a friend of mine, has been tracking her weight and tracking her growth patterns. And this is something I think I'm going to take a little leaf out of Naomi's book and start to do this. I am trying to shed my, my lambs at night so I can go in there at nighttime and pick them up. Naomi was saying hers are getting a bit hard to catch now and weigh. And I think she's doing it all with, uh, with little weigh scales like I am. And I'm using a, a little pet carry bag, which is working really, really well. And a, uh, a analog sort of little digital luggage scales. I just find that's kind of harder to read but then a digital, but um, it's just more reliable. I was really getting fed up with the digital ones just not working and battery issues and, and so on. So I've gone back to a, an old-fashioned sort of luggage scales. So I'm going to try and weigh them again. And here's me making work for myself. But I really want to know at four weeks, how are they tracking? I think Naomi's probably doing hers more frequently than, than that. But at least if I can get a little weight at um, maybe two and then four weeks uh, at least, then that would be really quite good. So maybe I'll weigh them again over the next week and then try and weigh them at 
marking as well or their first uh, vaccination. And of course, don't worry, all of that will be brought to you via the Sheep Show podcast. So we will cover off marking lambs and we'll also cover off weaning too. Uh, so that'll be be all good fun when, uh, when we get to it. But uh, we here have still got 30 ewes to lamb. So I'm still maybe, maybe a, you know, two thirds down and a third to go. So uh, 30 more to go. And boy, do they look big. What I've changed is these ones that are really quite big and quite uncomfortable, trying to not run them um, at all. So one of the things I was researching when I was looking at the prolapse is what causes the prolapse. And two two main things. Well, there's several things, really. It could be genetic. Uh, It could be multiples putting pressure on the insides. And definitely with mine, the ones that have have had prolapses have had triplets. And it can be too little exercise, too much exercise, particularly if you're on hilly country like us and they run down hills coming for food. So I've been really trying to move them as we possibly, as calmly as we possibly can. They're out during the day and we sort of bring them into different corrals and, and, and sort of protective areas at, at nighttime, so trying to be as calm as we possibly can so that we minimise that, uh, that chance uh, as well. I've also started to introduce hay. I have been feeding hay on and off. But I've been starting to think, gee, these ones that are really big, I want to be really careful that the lambs don't grow too big, particularly in these final stages when they're kind of almost overdue, really, and they really look uncomfortable. So I am trying to, you know, just manage the feed they get. They're obviously on grass all day and then, um, you know, I suppose – less dense food but the the minute they lamb they're on grain so they're back on grain lucerne water with molasses for a bit of energy and 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 you can see that they're they're quite hungry when they when they lamb i really find that they're thirsty too so just be be aware of that you know i've um put lots of where we can little buckets of water and things like that to try and make it as easy for them and they drink a huge amount after they lamb I would love to sort of I'm sure someone knows exactly how much they drink but it's quite amazing how quickly they'll go through a a bucket of water um straight after lambing and uh, and you can imagine it's it's incredibly exhausting and, and tiring and there's lots of bleating and I can't remember where I either talked to someone or or was researching this bleating that they do when they lamb. And what they're doing is they're conditioning the lamb that's obviously not even born yet to their sound. So that's a really important time for them when they're lambing and that bleating that's going on. It's it's a sort of a bonding piece where um they, they sort of connect and they have their own little calls. So really quite uh, quite amazing to, to sort of see that and understand that that actually really is quite quite important. Weights of the lambs this season, I've had a little small, cute little thing at 2.8 kilos. This, um, and, it, and it had a, a twin that was around 4.3 
And uh, this was a ewe that was actually joined on another property, so it wasn't joined on uh, on our property. So it's really interesting to compare that for, as, a, as an example and also compare what happened to me last year. Last year, I had lots of twins, but I had one big one, one small one, one big one, one non-viable one, one big one, one sort of almost not even fully formed. And of course, researched and talked to Jason, of course, and found out that the, again, nutrition at joining and the nutrition early on in the first trimester of pregnancy dictates the size of the lambs. And again, when I look through my lambing weights, I cannot believe how consistent they are. So queens, almost identical weights, you know, five kilos, five kilos. Triplets, identical weights, you know, four, four, and four. It's quite quite amazing to sort of see that consistency. And here's another set of triplets, five kilos, four kilos, and four kilos. So I'm just reading from my from my files. It's really quite amazing. And the majority, I haven't done an average, but the majority are between four and six kilos. So probably that would be the average by five. Uh, and we've had, we did have a, a, a few big ones today. I know I weighed a 6.3 and uh, that was um, one I did have to help and assist with. And we have had a seven kilo. That was the highest and the, the biggest that we, we had. And again, we had to assist with that too. So yeah, and just, just that, just the one, uh, the one seven kilo, but definitely quite a lot of six and, and 6.2s, tons, tons around that, that weight. So really impressed. And I said, I suppose what I'm really highlighting here is the consistency of twins. And in this case, we were able to look at triplets as well to point to that value, that food value and that quality of nutrition in the the uh, joining and the first trimester of pregnancy. So things to think about now would be, particularly if you're in Australia and you know you're going to be joining in February and March, then which paddocks? Which paddocks? What feed on the ground? We don't know what sort of a summer we're going to have. Hopefully it's not going to be a, a, a crazy scorcher. So hopefully it's going to be, you know, an average summer, a bit of rain, a bit of everything, so that we can actually have more feet on the ground but this is something think, to, to really to really think about a few things you can do as well you're thinking about wanting to prepare your ground for joining and I've just been talking to my brother as well and we've actually just coincidentally done the same thing we've gotten rid of all our cattle so we don't have any cattle now uh, at all we're just about tomorrow morning I'm going to head to the butcher and pick up our steer and fulfill all my customer orders who all the customers who've ordered beef thank you very much uh, so uh, we'll fulfill those orders for, for everyone. And my brother's done exactly the same in Ireland. He he runs a crossbred sheep enterprise. And we have decided to really focus on sheep. So so wind it down. And, and for us here, we are generating enough revenue from our sheep now to, to be able to not uh, trade cattle. And when I say trade cattle, we did try calving didn't work for us. It, it was not a good strategy for us. It 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 meant that our sheep suffered and and the and the ground particularly suffered as well. Cattle are particularly hard on on soft, wet, you know, boggy ground like what we have. A particular 
a particular, well, probably three quarters of the year. That's what our ground is like. So working the sheep only and focusing on the sheep only makes for uh, a, a better approach to our land. And we are seeing the benefits in uh, in our sheep, our sheep numbers and uh, on our sheep weigh, weights as well. So we're, um, you know, and, and the fertility and the fecundity as well. So all those things are really benefiting from uh, from us. So things to think about would be how uh, how are you resting your paddocks? How are you preparing your paddocks? How are you rotating them? How are you managing them so that they are in as healthy state as uh, as possible? We can't fertilize, and even if we did, we would we would be using compost or fish fertilizer or rock dust. We we wouldn't actually be using anything synthetic. So for us, even if we did do that, it would be aerial crop uh, rock dust that we would actually use you know to 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 uh, to improve the soil but what we can do is we can let the animals do the work so uh, free lick free choice licks to distribute minerals across the soil and then grazing proper grazing management thank you gary and uh, fertilization from the sheep manure i mean you can't get much better than that so that we're going to try that again and hopefully that that will duplicate for us next year but it's been quite incredible the difference in lambing numbers lambing percentages even though we've got a much bigger flock this year the results we're getting and the success that we have been able to get Again, this is a testament to what and how the land was managed six months ago. That's what we're really seeing here. And you've got to understand that this sort of life cycle of a of a of a sheep. We what we do now is going to impact what's going to happen your lambing next year. And uh, and I know it's not easy to think about that because we're so busy knee deep in in afterbirths, but that's what we need to be thinking about. We really need to be thinking strategically and, and planning ahead and and working towards the next drop, if you like. So talking of that, I will go now and have a look to see if indeed I've had some more lambs drop, and uh, I will come back to you next week and see what's in my lambing diaries for these final 30 years and hopefully some way updates some weight updates in terms of growth rates of my my lambs as well and uh, i'll tell you a few little things about how i am choosing my ram lambs i've got uh, quite a few orders for ram lambs from some local customers and, and breeders and commercial farmers so choosing already looking at choosing those ram lambs based on a few things. So I'll, I'll fill you in in our next Sheep Show podcast about those uh, those decisions that I'm making. So wherever you are, enjoy your sheep, enjoy your lambs. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again on the Sheep Diaries next week. You've been listening to the Sheep Show podcast with Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on your preferred podcast app. Each rating and review helps us fulfill our goals of helping you learn more, know more and achieve more when it comes to all things ovine. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, sheep well.